Det er nok. What is up, friends and family? And uh, I guess some friends and family value us differently because uh, <laughs> friend oh of ours, God. Alex, listener to the show, did a wonderful thing. Right, Will? In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah. So he's not active on Facebook. And mm-hmm. so 24 episodes in. Yeah, nearly half dis- a year. He has discovered that we have a pod now. <laughs> it's cool. He was he was just one of you know one of your groomsmen at your wedding. No big oh, deal. Yeah, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> but we got to put him on blast as much as we want to appreciate him because oh my gosh, it's hilarious. So he made a really cool intro for us. It's basically just hype is my superpower in text flashing and, and blinking and stuff uh during our intro music and it's and pretty much it's pretty well cued to the intro music that we have so that was cool absolutely um, and if we ever that. start if uploading slash when. video if slash when yeah if slash when <laughs> yeah and then when we when you start the intro the what up friends and family it has our picture from when we were kids and says host steve storman <laughs> featuring Will Freeland. And I'm like, oh, but then at the same time, Will Freeland's in bigger text. So like, you know, I'll, I'll take it where I can get it. <laughs> we are co-hosts. Thank you very much. Alex, <laughs> throwing shade. Come on, buddy. Oh my gosh, dude. It's hilarious. I love it. I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to one, tell him our uh, response and two give him a full-on shout-out blast uh the first three minutes of our episode also shouting out his podcast yes. he's got a podcast about uh competitive edh the magic format competitive elder dragon highlander or commander it is called late nights i was gonna with say a yeah K. late nights with a k so anybody if you are interested in magic in general Go take a listen to Late Nights. And if you're interested in CDH in particular, you probably already ought to be listening to it. But And you, probably, uh, you may already know the name higher. <laughs> yeah. Because he has the go-to CDH uh, Kenrith deck. Yeah. You know, plays in tournaments and on streams and stuff. Excellent dude. Very happy to have him listening. Very happy to be plugging his stuff. Awesome, awesome, awesome to be part of this community and be able to, to shout out friends. Give them a little mm-hmm. shit when they deserve it. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm loving it. Oh, so we've got man. a what what's up with you this week? Dude, what, how you how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um good. I had a great time reading these Empire books. Oh my gosh, here's the story for the pod. Oh I um I caught my hair on fire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dinner on wait, Thursday. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a thing. So um, how how logistically? And so it's a great listeners, question. Listeners can't see you. You've got the big fro. I do have a large afro. I've made the joke many times that you've been the same height since you were four years old. Just the fro got shorter, but yeah. it is it is maybe now the I've largest been, I've ever I've seen it. it. Back. Yeah, yeah, it's um. Gosh, I don't know how long it is. I'm not even going to bother. It's it's over a foot, I believe. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so what ha- happened was um, <laughs> we're at the table and we're at my night job, Barbarino. Shout out to Barbarino, delicious Central Coast cuisine. A little expensive, but worth the splurge if you get a chance to come by Santa Barbara, California and check it out. And thanks again for hooking us up last time I was in town. It was, in- it was an incredible meal. Yeah, it was we, a great, we have great evening a, for everybody. We have a large vegetarian friendly menu for people yeah. like Steve. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I uh, went there for my wife Alana's uh, cousin's birthday and we have little tea candles on all the tables. I was getting the especial, which is delicious and amazing. And I had it precariously balanced on my fork. And like any self-respecting eating person, (laughs) instead of moving the fork, which had precarious balance, I brought my mouth to the fork, (laughs) which was just inches (laughs) over my plate. And so as I went in, I hear this like crackling in my right (laughs) ear. Oh, no. Only to realize that that crackling noise is probably probably my hair on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Connected to your actual head. Oh, no. uh, Let's also keep in mind, this is after I made sure I got the bite in my mouth. (laughs) Well, yeah. I got the food (laughs) and I snapped up and I slapped my hair and like I felt warmth on my hand. And apparently there was a good enough flame and there was, and so I slapped my hair and then like I patted it out and then uh, I look across the table and Alana and her cousin are just staring at me just like um they didn't even <laughs> say nothing well because from their perspective they hear something they look up and they see a giant flame oh. on my head <laughs> and they see nothing but smoke in my hair <laughs> they're like it, was, it happened so fast that like they couldn't process like oh get water right <laughs> it was just like oh and then i realized what happened <laughs> and i thought it was hilarious and so i started <laughs> laughing and by breaking the silence they finally yeah. felt okay to start laughing too <laughs> it was a whole thing and then just it smells so bad oh yeah burning um, hair burning hair just does not smell good and like my manager I, i'm off but like my manager's walking around she thought there was an electrical fire somewhere she's like oh god for the staff and like i had to like flag <laughs> someone down and be like guys it was me <laughs> sorry <laughs> my bad <laughs> oh geez it was it was it was a thing that's was incredible thing. how does your Okay, so immediate crisis averted. Mm-hmm. Dinner able to able to enjoy. How does your hairstyle recover after that? Do you just have like a chunk missing from so, from a bulbous fro or do you do you shave down to fit? I mean, the direct answer is I just have a chunk missing. I okay. know where the chunk is missing and sure. I feel for it every like hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, since I'm doing this like curls thing instead of like a full yeah. flow, um, yeah, it's yeah. kind of covered. Uh, sure. You can't really tell that there's hair full on missing, yep. but it has underlined the argument for going back to a shaved head oh. um, as I do every two to three years. Uh-huh. Um, I'll do the I'll do the fro for two to three years, and then I do shaved head for two to three years, and just mm-hmm. keep on going back and forth. <laughs> so this recent incident and the continued complaints about the shower drain uh, <laughs> clogging uh-huh. has uh, <laughs> has kind of nudged me to warming up to the idea of maybe it's time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Great Thursday evening for me there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's incredible, man. 
my week, not nearly as much drama. Uh, I went to a minor league baseball game. That was pretty much the highlight. The Coney Island Cyclones minor league affiliate in Brooklyn. And you just get to go hang out on Coney Island. Cool. Yeah. And then go see a baseball game, go on a roller coaster, put your feet in the water. It's just really, you know, 18 bucks a ticket. Can't go wrong. We went on Irish night, which is prime. Uh, I am not Irish at all. Rachel negligibly. So, but it's the perfect opportunity for people watching is, you know, absolutely drunk people with the thickest New York accents imaginable. Just, scream obscenities at Dominican teenagers is <laughs> real confluence of humanity there. So oh, good times. Um, Uncle Mac played yeah. minor league. No kidding. Yeah. He I pitched, didn't know that. I guess. Wow. I, I think he pitched, but he was in, yeah, he did minor league. That's uh, awesome. At some point in his storied life. Yeah. He has so many legend. different aspects. Fucking he did uh minor league baseball. He, trained hunting dogs in North what? Carolina. Oh um, yeah. He had like, he has like five hunting rifles in his closet. <laughs> uh, uh, he taught my dad how to like drive a tractor on a farm. Wow. Like, he served in the military. Right. Uh, uh, he was army and like, he's just done so many super random unrelated things. Yeah. <laughs> so wild. That's amazing. Wow, real Renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Learn, learn more about him. That's <laughs> to think. Just a few weeks ago, I didn't even know his real name. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, Samuel McKinley Vickers, Uncle yep. Mac. Yep. Oh, the rest in peace to a real one. Uh, all right. Well, with that out of the way, should we get started? Yeah, comics. Comics. Um, so you've got Empire side stories to tell. I have about. Empire side stories there, of which there were five. Yeah, I will say initially, I'm very sad that there wasn't a Thor side story, mm. and I checked. Oh, right, because Thor had the he did the Gaia thing. Yeah, yeah. And they just and like no, and so I went to I, I I have the second volume of Lord Thor, where yeah. the first volume was the whole Galactus thing, um, right. and the Black Winter. The second volume has nothing to do with Empire. It goes into the whole Mjolnir getting heavy thing. So, like, they just kind of ignore his whole plot to Empire. And I only just flipped through just looking to see if there was, like, a guy in thing. And, like, I read the back, and it didn't say anything about it. So I'm kind of sad there. But the five books that I did get to read was Lords of Empire, Empire Captain America and the Avengers, Captain Marvel Accused, Fantastic Four Empire, and then I finished off with Empire X-Men, which we both read. Yes, we did. Um, they were all great. Cool. Yeah. Like, okay. So with crossovers, the mm-hmm. when you're reading through the main six to eight issues of a crossover, it's very much the big points, the, the yeah. main conflict, even though it's always like a spanning thing. It's like cosmic event or a global event. Yeah. Uh, They'll, or, they'll put a, the, a main plot together and yeah. a, a, a special miniseries. At least this is the way they do it now. They'll have yeah, a special yeah. a special miniseries that, you know, has all of the main plot points going on. Characters might enter and exit from that to do their little subplots, which will be contained in these side stories. Yes. But generally, more or less, you get sort of the main themes, conflicts, etc. happening 
in that miniseries and then everything else kind of dangles along in, in these side books. Yeah. With the side books, you get to kind of explore uh, those extra little side plots. Like there's two plot lines in Empire that I just ignored uh, as far as like when I reviewed <laughs> last yeah, week yeah. because there was just, it doesn't have anything to do with the main thing, but I also right. knew like one of them was Fantastic Four and that whole subplot. Sure. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to go into it here. So like, there's no point in covering it last week. And then I also did the same thing with the implied X-Men subplot. But yeah. this X-Men book did not cover it. Right. Further supporting your check, your theory, and now confirmed that the regular X-Men in Dawn is going to cover some Empire stuff yeah. also. Yep, yep. And I think... What's, what happens in Dawn is going to be what I thought the plot was going to be of Empire X-Men. Okay, cool. Um, cool. Well, I'm excited to get into that next week. Yeah. I feel like side books can go one of two ways. It can either be like, oh God, you're just cashing in. There's no reason story-wise for this to happen. Or the most interesting character-focused stories to be told within the larger plot and an opportunity for, you know, big revelations, big character moments, big things happening for individual characters that you just don't have space for when you're trying to cram everybody into the same page um, yes. in the main story. See, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you get it. <laughs> um, and so to your point, that's what Lords of Empire was. Okay. Um, there's four issues. Three of them are the character dive, real good, uh, amazing stuff. The fourth issue was why was this here? What is this cash in? It has nothing to do with anything. All sure. it really does is show where two characters are at the time of Empire. Like well, physically. Let's, well, let's get into <laughs> it. Uh, real quick, finishing off the, the preview of what we have this week. I also yes. have another chapter of Nomon to get through. Of Nomon, uh, yeah. I'm, we'll exci- I'm how, excited, man. We'll see how, how far into it I get. It's another it's another beast, but... Okay. So um, are you starting us off with Lords of Empire? So Lords of Empire, four issues. The first issue is Emperor Hulkling, and it kind of dives into Hulkling, also known as Teddy Altman, also known yep. as Doric VIII, Emperor Doric VIII, him getting introduced to his lieutenants, Talrath, okay. uh, Super Scroll Kalert, and kind of just like there's an unease he kind of has to like earn his place in their view Mm, Uh, there's kind of just this uneasy alliance because they're like you're from earth are you going to side with earth are you going to side with the alliance here what's going on and you get the impression very much so that earth just happens to be where this is happening Mm. because if you remember in the pre-story uh, the Kree were given the blue area of the moon, which happens to be the moon of Earth. And so right. as the Kotadi are exacting their revenge on the Kree space, it just happens to be where Earth is. And that's really <laughs> all it is. And so Hulkling has to publicly denounce his attachment to Earth mm. and publicly be the leader of this alliance. So that's kind of what that issue was about. Interesting. Okay. Uh, The next one is Celestial Messiah. 
it follows Sequoia and just kind of does an, an issue of kind of diving into his background a little bit. Cool. Um, it helped establish a timeline that I did not portray accurately enough last week, <laughs> mainly because all of this stuff, establishing who Sequoia was and Mantis right. and, and Swordsman and all that kind of stuff, that all yeah. happened before I got into comics. So Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a real, like... 80s storyline right yeah yeah so in the avengers you have mantis and you have swordsman they fall in love and then swordsman dies during his storyline and then later a kotati elder takes over swords so mantis is the celestial madonna and which means the, she is fated to give birth to she's a the, messiah yeah the celestial messiah so the kotati cannot mate with a human like mantis and so a kotati Mm. elder is like i need to take a human form i know that mantis is in love with this guy swordsman i'm gonna go literally dig up his body and take over his body and so it's intense uh, yeah so when the kotati elder does that two main things happen one he gets flooded with the spirit and memories and emotions of the original swordsman and so now he has this kind of conflict this kind of like internal conflict of like being the hero but then also the kotati like plan and then uh, you also have swordsman kind of being disowned from the kotati elders because now he's impure Mm. lack of a better phrase Anyway, Kotati Elder in Swordsman explains who who and what he is. He then proposes to Mantis knowing like his story. And she says, okay. And she, she, you know, latches on to her love of Swordsman and he has all of her memory, all of his memories. So she's like, we could probably make this work. So they get married post swordsman death which is weird but so comics (laughs) and um and they get married and then they have sequoia sequoia's childhood as a child he didn't have his kotati powers he was just basically a human Hmm. um and mantis was raising him as a human child then when his kotati powers kind of blossomed he was around like six years old and uh like tree branches uh, shot out of him and like the oh, kids wow. are all scared of him blah 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 uh-huh. and so it was basically just kind of showing like the strange childhood that sequoia had and it sure. kind of establishes his sort of resentment towards mantis for like trying to make him not who he was hmm. uh because he 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 is the celestial messiah but she was trying to raise him as a human to be good and this that and the other thing is okay yeah um, and it was it was basically showing how Mantis got involved and uh, starting to show Sequoia's resentment to the fleshies, to humans, <laughs> and all that. Yeah, um, interesting. Because, okay. And so, like, it only touched on that because in issue three, Swordsman, it really establishes this Sequoia anti-human thing. So mm-hmm. Swordsman complains about him being disowned from the Kotati elders, even though they are praising Sequoia because he's a celestial messiah. And Swordsman, basically, he takes Sequoia back down to earth and he's like, I need to, this is the Kotati talking. He's like, I need to go and return to my people. Like, okay, I'm done. I don't have a place here anymore. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. So they- yeah. Go down to where the grove is 
he tries to rejoin the grove. He does like he starts just like melting into a tree after a few days. It's very peaceful. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very peaceful. It's pretty, it's it's beautiful. And then hmm. you have Alchemax is like, hey, these plants are showing really weird readings. Oh. Let's take it all down, basically. We need to okay. we need to study this. We need to bring it to our labs. And so humans go and disrespect this grove that has been there since before civilization all in front of Koi's face. Very human thing to do. Exactly. And so uh, through these actions and through seeing how little respect humans have for uh, natural history, um, he loses all of his faith in humanity. And he said, he, you know, the celestial Messiah is prophesied to save all living things Mm. but he has decided that humans no longer count because of these actions okay so interesting yeah so that's all kind of like empire issue zero yeah (laughs) Um, yeah one through three yeah yeah and so it's nice to have some character there though exactly because on screen before this sequoia is a is the child of two avengers the kotadi are a peaceful race like it didn't make sense right the big bads but yeah. at least we have a little bit of like fall from grace issues here. Totally. Cool, man. It keeps dawning on me, like how deep a cut empire is in it terms really of is. plot to, to pull out these really old story threads and make a, a giant crossover about it. That's yeah. That's crazy. I know. Right. To even think. So Sequoia is a prophesized baby and right. Hulkling was a prophesized baby. Right. With three incredibly storied races, alien races. Yeah. To get them all involved in one storyline is ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) It's 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 a tall ask. It's really impressive. Um the fourth issue is the one that just doesn't matter. It's Savage (laughs) Avengers and it's Conan and Venom are in Mexico City. And there's a Kotadi invasion. So Conan's walking watching some luchadors. Katani invade. He fights them off. He gets a a giant harvester tractor thing and runs them over. It's kind of funny to see. (laughs) Uh, It ends with Venom and Conan getting a lote from a street vendor, and that's it. Sweet. Like, okay, it's it's it's. It didn't matter. It was one issue. I'm but, glad they only spent one issue on it. <laughs> but you you get to have these characters hanging out as people mm-hmm. and, and not always in these overwhelming stakes where you get to see a different side of them. Right. So next up is Empire, Captain America, and the Avengers. And okay. they call it that because there's three issues of Captain America and there's three issues of the Avengers. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. So the Captain America issues kind of show the American military side of the empire. Oh, Um, it has him supporting some troops, saving some troops, and then going to the general and being like, we need full NATO support on this. This is a global crisis. Help us. And it's basically the military being like, "Uh, no, (laughs) like (laughs) there's this, you know, what do you do with a strong military? Do you support those who can't, or is it every man for themselves? Sure. You know, we've spent our time defending ourselves. Why should we ever stop? Yeah. Um, 
And so, and, and that it's just shown in, you have military general and you have captain America. (laughs) Uh, So yeah. Cap is like, we need to save everyone. Military is like, no. And then Mm. comics being comics, there's a spore that gets into the general and (laughs) um, general's like, okay, I'm going to NATO. And Cap is like, oh, you had a turn of heart. Thanks. So they are headed to a place near Mexico City, even though it has nothing to do with Conan and Venom. They're going to a place near Mexico City because there's a high priest there that is going to invade Mexico city to destroy everything. And you have the general going to NATO and you kind of have this little insight into there's a NATO round table and they're kind of talking like, why should we help you? So it says, well, general, aren't you here to beg for military aid from those for whom you had none only days ago, by all means, tell us why the most powerful military in the world needs our help to protect your lands while the Katadi continue to besiege our own. On the invasion of the Katadi, we have seen no leadership from the United States. Why should we expect any different now? The people of Turkey will offer no aid while the United States persists in its trade sanctions on the nation of Russia. The people of Portugal will offer no aid that is not matched uh at least by the aid offered by the nation of Spain. The people of Canada will help once our proposed trade agreement with the United States is signed into law by your president. Like it yeah. is. Everybody's just, finding an excuse all to politics. bicker. And, yeah. and so you have the general who is being controlled by this high priest. And he says, you know, these, these are the wise and mighty leaders of earth. Surely this cannot be so. Surely <laughs> the people of earth do not entrust their welfare to cowardly peddlers of influence who bicker and bargain in their towers of stone. <laughs> Where are your champions? Where are your warrior kings? Which of you would defend your people against your enemies? None of you, I say. And then you have your comics Cap. yeah, stuff. And yeah, him trying to like infect everybody, take over, and then Cap getting involved being like, I say thee nay. And Cap inspiring the leaders of NATO to help the world basically. And you have him inspiring the Cree and the scroll generals being like, huh, I guess he's not that bad. I see why they follow him. <laughs> okay. um, there's this other, whenever there's a skirmish on land on the streets, you see the heroes of earth defending people where you see Korean scroll, not giving a crap about who dies as long as the Kotadi gets stopped. Oh, wow. Um, because I mean, it's like it's somebody else's planet, <laughs> you know, yeah, from their yeah. perspective. Sure, um, th- they've always kind of had a thing against Earth anyway. Like, right? Should they care from their Shrug. perspective? Yeah, should yeah. they care? Yeah, eh. yeah. <laughs> it ends because there's a MacGuffin and Cap just continues to inspire people and be amazing and blah blah blah. Um, yeah, yeah, that was it. Okay, so with Sweet. Avengers, yep, you have basically three plots going on it's been okay it's basically showing battles on on multiple fronts show what's mm-hmm. going on during empire you have vision dr nemesis and luke cage in central park hmm. you have mockingbird yeah <laughs> you have mockingbird wonder man and quicksilver in mexico okay and you have kazar dr voodoo wanda and black knight in the savage land okay and the way they have it split up is they'll do like two or three pages in one theater, two or three pages in another, two or three pages in the next, sure. and then yeah. just recycle that cycle through the issues. Mm-hmm. So in Central Park, you have Vision, Duck, Nemesis, and Luke Cage fighting, and this is they just kind of had to do it. There's a guy named Samuel Smithers who is also known as Plant Man. 
Okay. He's an old Ob- obvious Vendor. interest in this conflict. Right. And so the, this is kind of one of those times where it's like, okay, we're doing a plant invasion. Are there right. plant-based villains or heroes in right. Marvel that we should probably address? <laughs> like with, with Orb and Original Sin, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. who's the eye guy? I'm sure there is one. <laughs> exactly. So we have him doing the plant man. It's a quick, just battle punch kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Mockingbird, Wonder Man, and Quicksilver in Mexico. Their story revolves around dealing with the Alliance not caring about human life. Mm. It was specifically taking place in a town. We have the Alliance fighting the Katati, and you have the Avengers trying to help the Alliance, but then them just not caring about collateral damage. And so yeah. it really kind of just dives into there. One thing that I liked is... Wonder Man being a pacifist in every action scene that he's in, he only ever pushes people. <laughs> like he's he's always got hands open, and he's just pushing people apart. You'd never see him actually punch anything. That's awesome, and I really appreciated that they like remembered that about his character. Kind of, yeah, like. yeah, that's uh, cool. Yeah, so that was really cool. Kazar, Voodoo, Wanda, and Black Knight. I feel like we're the kind of the meat of this them in savage land you have a controlled man thing who is all plants you um, <laughs> yes more plants well sorry he's a scientist converted into a bunch of plants and all who know fear burn at the touch of man thing but they don't use that here they just use sure. them as like the giant swamp thing kind of thing but you can't say sure. swamp thing because swamp thing is dc <laughs> <laughs> uh you have <laughs> you have a controlled shauna shauna is kazar's wife she right. apparently, which I technically have read this in 2013 in Savage Wolverine number four, she got connected to the Savage Land. There's like this pool, kind of like a Lazarus pit um, from Batman that's just like super regenerative and gets you in, in touch with right. nature, blah, 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 sure. Blah. So through her connection to the Savage Land that way, when um, these Kotati high priests come down to take over plants, it's an easy takeover for Shauna. And then on top of that, it was easy to influence her telepathically because Kazar has been spending his time with the agents of Wakanda for some reason that I'll never understand um, (laughs) because he only wears a a loincloth and he has a spear. He doesn't use tech. Like why would the agents of Wakanda, whatever. But (laughs) (laughs) so she's kind of got this like angst against uh, Kazar. And Mm -hmm. so you can tap into that kind of like antagonistic feeling and control her. So the only reason why I say it's got meat is because at the end of this, you have Kazar getting impaled by Black Knight's sword. And in order to heal him, they put him in the Lazarus pit type stuff. And so now he has that same kind of restored connection to Savage Land that Shauna does. So I assume they can use that going forward. So next volume is Captain Marvel number four, Accused. Basically, in Empire, we have Carol being given Ronan's hammer, Ronan right. the Accuser's hammer to be the accuser for Emperor Doric, for Hulkling. This is hot off the heels. The last volume, she was attacking all the Avengers and doing that whole crazy plot. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, she was just she was placing doing... everything. Yeah. Yes. And so 
when she gets the hammer, she feels like it's like calling to her. There's like this weird pole kind of like magic psychic whatever is going on with it. Uh, So she doesn't fully trust the hammer. She doesn't like using it. Yeah. yeah. Um, And also she uses it in ways that I've never. So when Ronan the accuser first got introduced, I feel like it's only ever been just a hammer, (laughs) 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 but lately, and especially here you have the hammer having like abilities and powers it's got like this thundercats uh lino and his sword when he says like give me sight beyond sight um, okay <laughs> and the, the hammer's <laughs> kind of got something like that where it shows okay. like the history of the place that she's at okay um, kind of like what what rachel did in x factor yep so I don't know. It's just odd, but now it's got abilities and now it's got this like pull. And so anyway, Carol doesn't trust it. And so she gets Dr. Strange to kind of split its essence up into four pieces so she can share the burden basically for her storyline here. And so she gives a piece to War Machine. She gives a piece to Hazmat and she gives a piece to Spider-Woman. Hazmat is kind of new. Uh, She was introduced in Avengers Academy after the Superhero Registration Act. She's basically Radioactive Man, but a teenage child she has right basically control of all things radioactive Uh, she has from avengers academy yeah she has more control over it now than she did back then okay um and she has generally been adopted by like your captain marvel types where just cool Okay. Other female superheroes that she just yeah, plays yeah. with from time to time. Sweet. And then Jessica Drew, one of her good friends. The storyline here is your classic, like, hey, accuser, there was this explosion on our first Alliance city. Mm-hmm. Um, it was destroyed. There's only one person there. It had to have been them going to accuse. So mm-hmm. she goes, turns out, oh, hey, look, that's not what actually happened. Let's find the bad guy. Um, <laughs> so she comes across the the sole survivor of that city. Her name was Lori L. Uh-huh. She's a test tube baby from the Cree, and her genes are supplied from some Cree warrior and Mari L. Mari L is Carol's mom, and so oh. Lori L is Carol's uh, sister, half-sister. Okay genetic half sister (laughs) sure she she's big she's blue she's pure (laughs) she's innocent she's in control like she has like a mental calm she never loses her cool in a fight she knows how to fight she was bred for war she hates war but she knows how to do it (laughs) okay she's really great it basically l'oreal is a sole survivor turns out that this other antagonist blew up the entire city and L'Oreal just happened to be the only one that survived. She was supposed to die also. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so it made her look bad. They figured it out. And then at the end of it, Carol clears her name and L'Oreal took the hammer in the climax and she became the accuser and got the robe. Also, that's another power is everyone being in green here apparently is something that the hammer does. You get the green costume by holding the hammer. Okay. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's what they chose. <laughs> so okay. something that I've loved in the Captain Marvel stories is the dialogue between her and her friends. Like their banter yeah. is just so much fun. Oh, and, cool. And L'Oreal just fits right in there with it. That's awesome. And so generally, I really liked it. I want to see more L'Oreal, but since now she has become the accuser for emperor dorek she's not gonna be on earth which makes me a little sad 
but mm-hmm. we'll see where it goes from here. The only other thing that stood out is an incontinuity error. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, in the Captain Marvel movie, Carol calls Monica Lieutenant Trouble. And that yeah. is that is from the Captain Marvel books, where oh, cool. her neighbor, her neighbor's daughter is named is Kit, and she calls her Lieutenant Trouble. Nice. So in the first issue here, or in one of the first issues, she calls her Captain Trouble. Oh, and got the promotion. One, and one, well, yeah, but then in the last issue, she actually calls her Lieutenant Trouble that she's supposed to call her. Promoted back down. Bro, when it happens within one volume, I'm like, come on now. And they do it again in Fantastic Playing fast Four. and loose with rank here. You're just, you can't, you, you've you got to respect chain of command in, in, in the trouble organization. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so that was Captain Marvel. I liked it because of the dialogue. If it yeah. didn't have the kind of like banter that Carol just has with her friends, it wouldn't have been as good. Sure. Fantastic Four, volume Fantastic six. Four. Fantastic Four Empire. So, mm-hmm. and here's the difference that I've noticed with like, when you do like Empire Captain America versus Fantastic Four. Yeah. So Empire. these, these are mainline issues of the title versus Captain America and the Avengers. Those were both issues uh, addition, additional miniseries. Yeah. Right. Whereas, yeah. So these are Fantastic Four issues 21 through 24. Yep. Um, basically what you get here in these kinds of situations is it tells the story that is connected to the crossover, but it also like has issues or story parts outside of it. And you kind of get that in issue 24, which takes Uh place after empire, but we get to explore a little bit. I mentioned in passing uh, in empire, there's these two kids, there's the Cree boy and scroll girl who were bred to fight in the profiteers arena oh yeah at the end of it in fallout fantastic four doric bequeaths them to alicia and ben Grimm, and so they have adopted the two of them so the kree child his name is joe ven his title is the kree chronicle of blood and we have nkala who is the scroll requiem of shapeless souls both of them Yeah, both of them were bred, again, to be like the living chronicles of each side of the Kree-Scroll War and the millennia that it's lasted. And so they have the data of all of the battles that Kree and Scroll have gone through. And when they get to Earth to run away from the Profiteer and that whole situation, there's a group of the priests of Hama who are alerted to their presence and they get their group called the Dark Harvest, who's basically kind of just weaponized okay. nature people. I no, I'll I'll bring this up later. Go on. Okay. <laughs> it's just uh, this them being called the Dark Harvest. Okay, I guess I, I could do it now. Reminded me of, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but a character in Empire X-Men who is named Ruta Vega. <laughs> Are they all vegetable themed? Is this some Dragon Ball Z shit going on over here? Um, I think it's the writers not having a very large imagination when dealing with <laughs> plant-based villains. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> because um, <laughs> like so it's basically like you have to come up with a name but it has to be unique 
and it can't have been used previously and it and because it's a one-off villain or character it can't yeah. be something catchy okay i feel like there's like certain criteria they have to hit uh-huh <laughs> because sure. with the dark harvest it's a group and you have names like bladed leaf sharpest thorn master forest mighty oak like okay. they're priests they think of them as like Shaolin monks, but for the priests of Hama. Yeah. And plant-based. <laughs> okay. Okay. So they attack the Fantastic Four who But they're um, not all named after vegetables. That's really my no, main concern they're the- here. They're themed after plants. Okay. Not necessarily vegetables. Because I I I have this note in here. What kind of DBZ shit is this? <laughs> <laughs> I look our takeaways are so varied. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, okay, I should say Fantastic Four and X-Men have the most noteworthy things to talk about. Yeah. Um, The first three are just kind of like there and they happened. I really liked Captain Marvel, but the first two were just like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, So Fantastic Four, when the kids get to Earth, Alicia shows up and... First of all, Wolverine calls her Masters because that's her last name. Her name is Alicia right. Masters before she mm-hmm. got married, but she's already currently married. She is technically Alicia Grimm. Not a big right. deal, but calls her Masters. And Nkala, because she knows the entire scroll history, she, for some reason, is obsessed with Alicia Masters. Like mm. as soon as she found out that her name is Alicia Masters, she's like, oh, my gosh you're who I need to look for or something. And it's just like, wait, what? So she's obsessed with Leisha. And so it makes the adoption down the line way easier because she has this like learned obsession with Alicia anyway. Interesting. Okay. And again, to be clear, both of our mothers kept their maiden names and keep and use them to this day. So this <laughs> no, no, shouldn't be disorienting time. It's not disorienting. It's disorienting <laughs> by the fact that Logan called her masters when right. she is no longer masters. She goes by Grim. She is Grim yeah. because Logan at the end of the volume calls her Mrs. Grim. Uh, okay. It literally just only name dropped her as masters. So yeah. Kala can figure out that this is gotcha. Alicia Masters, right? And it's okay. like, come on now, but whatever. Yeah, like there, plot. It, if yeah. it was just if it was just one bubble in that, because Fantastic Four and especially superheroes in general, they love the like pithy side one-liner conversations right. mid-battle. Yep, and absolutely. so like if he's gonna call her Masters, she could just go, "I go by Grim now," right. But whatever, it's not. A, whatever. It's not. It's not a big deal. <laughs> also, my wife didn't take my last name, so like, yes, <laughs> right, I'm very exactly. familiar <laughs> with, <laughs> with people going by their maiden name. Um, so we find out that the Dark Harvest—they are tasked with building an OmniWave projector. OmniWave projector is what Captain Marvel had that originally gave Carol her powers. Um, okay. These days now, it's explained as it's what it's activated else. her powers yeah. because she is half Cree now. She's not just oh, okay. genetically turned into a Cree. I don't think I knew that, but sure. Oh, I yeah. Guess that, that, was... that I guess that fits with you were saying Mary L is her mother. Is her, so yes. That's uh, definitely yeah. a Cree name. Yeah. So that was so um, th- this Captain Marvel is volume four. There is a one shot before this series oh, that explains okay. that re-explains her origin and so 
the first volume is her kind of coming to terms with the fact that her mom was a Cree. She is technically half Cree. And so that kind of rewrites the Omniwave projector and what it did to her when it exploded back in the day. Sure. And it's definitely something to, <laughs> to have to come to terms with. Yes, I am part alien. Right. <laughs> so we have Dark Harvest. They kidnap Joe Venn. Ideally, what they want to do. So their entire plan is to kidnap both the kids, use the Omniwave projector to project their memories of the millennia of hatred between the two races and project mm. it into the minds of all the Kree and Scroll in the galaxy. So to break apart their alliance, to give the Kotadi a winning advantage. Okay, sure. So that does technically go off, and we see that happen in Empire, but it gets addressed relatively quickly. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And basically, the kids and the Omniwave projector are locked in this like amber crystal, but they can breathe and they can move. Okay. Like, so it's like it's a hollow crystal, but it's a pool. Like they get encased in it in like the pool of liquid, and then it gets it's just they're put into (laughs) the stasis that they need to be in (laughs) yeah yeah to not be able to do anything but they can hear from the outside they can talk back and forth just put them in the timeout box for the duration of the plot yeah basically so the omniwave projector does go off and then val and franklin use their quick thinking to (laughs) remind them hey do you remember the stories of Bell Dan and Roxor, do you remember okay. them? Yeah. I uh, remember how how they solved their problems because they worked together. And so they're like, oh yeah, that's right. We do know about that one. And so they think about that, project it to the alliance. So now the alliance's union is stronger than ever because family. <laughs> and then <laughs> the, um, the real intergalactic conquest was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what that is. <laughs> so that's literally the story. So, um, so they do that. They inspire the troops to work together. Koi reaches out to Master Forest, and he's like, "What the hell happened?" He's like, "I'm sorry, this is, I, I failed you." And Koi is like, "I understand. You're only human, and meat oh. makes mistakes. Oh. So you just see, like, kind of just how much." Yeah. But yeah. And then, so that was that. And then issue 24 takes place after Empire. And I have officially established that it takes place after Fantastic Four X-Men. Because it starts with Franklin hanging out on Krakoa, hanging out with some friends that he's made in Krakoa. And he's wearing an X-Men suit, which is cool. (laughs) And he has an earring now. He got an earring. He got a piercing. And it's the X symbol. Oh, (laughs) There you go. <laughs> um, so issue 24 is the Fantastic Four throwing a banquet to welcome the kids into the family. Joe Venn goes by Joe or Joey and Kala is going by Nikki. Uh, okay. And so they kind of just go back and forth between what they actually call them. But we have Johnny kind of feeling a little bit of FOMO of like establishing a family. Um, mm. Now that, Ben's married, and now he and Alicia have kids. You know, Reed and Sue have always been to not always, yeah. but I've been together forever, and the kids are teenagers now. Like, yeah, yeah. So Johnny's kind of having this kind of little internal conflict with himself. 
Sky is there. If you'll remember from last issue, there's the destined star-crossed lover thing. Soulmates. There's soulmates. Okay. So his soulmate Sky oh, came right. from that from, other planet. From that other planet. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So she's here on Earth now. And it's so funny right. because in the Empire crossover, she's like, oh man, I can't believe there's another race out there. She thinks that her planet and earth humans are the only races out there. And then she gets introduced to Jovan and Kala and she's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's four sentient races out there. And Alicia and Valeria are like, oh, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't introduced you to anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then we have Iceman is established as part of the Fantastic Four family because in a flashback of this issue, we have Johnny running away from Fantastic Four because he doesn't think he needs the Fantastic Four. And you have Iceman in his original like snowman form running away from the X-Men because he doesn't think the X-Men need him because they're all so much more stronger than he is. Okay. And so while he's out and running away in New York city, he gets recruited by fantastic four who needs some help fighting somebody doesn't really matter (laughs) who. And so they allow him into fantastic four Reed says, anytime you need anything, you know, our door is open for you. Please come on by. And so it's cool. Cause it's mostly in the pages of like Spider-Man team up that they hang out you know torch and bobby so it's, right. it's nice to have another like foundation for that yeah and yeah. within so that was, one of their own books and yeah within fantastic four specifically yeah um that's kind of the only two things johnny kind of getting a new found love for family and what that means mm-hmm. and Iceman being part of the family now and maybe Johnny looking to because Sky is like, yo, we haven't even had a first date yet. And so yeah. maybe they're going to explore this whole soulmate thing. Right. In the future. So, so that's that. Now we have cool. Empire X-Men. Now we have Empire X-Men. So my first note is, oh shit, Wanda. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. That was my technically my first note. My actual first note is star, not what I thought was going to get covered. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So let's go in. So Wanda Maximoff, AKA the Scarlet Witch, presumed daughter of Magneto. And last week we were talking about what a shame it is that Pietro, her brother Quicksilver was retconned to not be a mutant. And this made me really think, no, it's a shame that she was retconned to not be a mutant too, because of the whole involvement with M-Day about 15 years ago. <laughs> uh, more than that. Yeah, it was more than that. Big crossover called House of M, where her reality warping powers went wild and she started giving everybody everything they ever wanted. It was revealed to be a facade. And at the end of it, with her mental state breaking down, she was feeling like she was done with all this drama and all this heartache. And so she just said, no more mutants. And that was enough combined with her crazy powers to depower well over 99% of mutants worldwide. And to the uh, point where there's only 198 mutants left. It was a traumatic experience for a lot of people. It led to a bunch of persecution of mutants now that they were on the brink of extinction, a lot of rash actions being taken, and she felt really bad about it. So she consulted with Dr. Strange, who told her, this isn't going to work what you're trying to do. Stop it. And she ignored him. 
and it was very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, I, she didn't ignore him. No. She, she took just, his advice. <laughs> she just thought she knew better. So she approached Strange to get him to undo her actions of M Day. Right. And that was a year ago, apparently. Yeah. A says, year ago in continuity. In, in, in continuity, yes. Yeah. Uh, he says, you're, what you're doing is you're seeking to erase yourself from your own history. And the way that your reality powers work, it, it like anchors you into you know, these events in reality. Like, yep. you can't do that. If you ask my opinion, that bell has already been rung. You just need to ring a bigger bell. Right. And she was like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I can't undo this. So I'm going to do a new thing to bring all these people back to life. So she plucks the eye of a void spider who weaves life from blood. And then she makes a deal with a chaos godhead for their crown, perverting the law of nature. And then she breaks off a world tree root, bridging life and death. All flowery language to say she makes a cool scepter looking thing and goes to Genosha, the mutant nation that once housed 16 million mutants. 16,521,063. There you go. I'm just going to round down to 16 million if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> and she decides that she is going to try and undo this outrageous massacre of mutants that was, took place at the hands of Sentinels and Cassandra Nova. And so she uses this uh, scepter, weaves a spell and sticks it into the ground and they start coming back as zombies. Oh my God. Uh, I started freaking out like mid read, obviously, but like Marvel zombies has never been on earth on 616. <laughs> and I was like, Oh God. Cause is this again, the start? I have Marvel zombies resurrection somewhere down the line. in my oh. reading, And every other Marvel zombies has been on an alternate earth. I didn't even think of that. And I was like, Oh Lord, are they going to stick with this? How is this going to work? What? <laughs> Yeah, anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the Katati end up having a landing party on Genosha as well. So yeah. there's a start of a conflict there. They choose Genosha because it makes for a good staging ground for their assault on Wakanda because that's where they want to go. Right. Because Wakanda, so we find out the quote-unquote true name of Vibranium. Uh, or the Katati name, yeah. Is Or the Katati name, perhaps, is Saguri Kwoi. <laughs> yeah. And, and we also see that it's like molecular structure, which is also fun. Yeah. That's just the science nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the immortal line of, you know, you just showed up on an island of 16 million zombies. Some of them are vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> My people have our revenge. And so a big fight, the X-Men also get involved because they are in investigating, you know, something going on with their gate on Genosha uh, and a big yeah. spike in mutant readings. And so apparently there's a new X-Corp that's headed up by M and Angel. And I have a note here. I'm curious how it's different from the Hellfire Club, just in terms of like a business side. Like distribution and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's going on with that? Like a business side to... Uh, to the X-Men. But anyway, so they put together a boarding party of Angel, Magic, M, and Madrox to go investigate. And then the horticulture returns. 
Horticulture were in one issue of X-Men. They're a bunch of elderly women who are gardeners and also badass fighters and brilliant scientists and foul-mouthed as hell and (laughs) just cranky and a lot of fun. So yeah, the rest of the the rest of it is pretty much just an excuse to have some fun with the big old plants versus zombies versus mutants versus cranky old women fight scene. But a couple plot wise things before we head into the notes, they bring in a team of psychics to fight. Um, I have so many thoughts. On oh this. yeah. Okay. We'll get to that in a sec. It turns out that Wanda's spell only lasted 30 days. So there's a big conflict around this like seed pod, essentially. The Kotati start getting infected by the zombie-ness and start eating their own. The seed pod gives birth to this giant brain thing that looks like mother brain from Super Metroid. Like a I'm so glad you're going to use that reference. I was say the same thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and yeah, it ends with a beautiful scene between a resurrected mutant and his zombie self as he gets his zombie self to accept re-death. <laughs> that was the most adorable conversation. Beautiful. How did this, I was expecting at first like a Warren story because there's this conversation between Angel and Professor Xavier towards the beginning. He's insulted that he is being considered a redundancy. And Xavier says, no, no, everything else is the redundancy. The thing that we have the most need of on Krakoa is good people, (laughs) good mutants. And you're one of them. And I hold that in the highest regard. And so everything else fits around you. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a beautiful, like, story about Warren, like, finding his place. Because he's had just a meta note here. I'm sorry, I'm straying into notes but the plot part is pretty much done there's an ending scene that we can get to and i'm sure we will between wanda and strange but you know giant plant monster defeated day saved etc okay that's the plot warren i thought there was going to be this whole thing you know that he was going to accept his place in the x-men because there's his powers are not combat useful in the way that so many others are when he's not Archangel. And there's been so much dithering about his powers. Like first they made him into Archangel to like make him combat useful for the team. And then they took that away. And then they're like, okay, well, he has a secondary mutation. He has a healing factor that can like his blood can heal other people and et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, that's dumb. Take that away. They're like, oh, he can turn into Archangel, but it's not at his control. It's like, uh, whatever, take that away. And and so now he's kind of at this, like, he's a guy with wings who can fly, but like wings are cumbersome. So he probably can't even fly as well as like, you know, other mutants who can fly. So what what's his place? And I thought this was going to be a story where it's like, we square this circle and make him valuable for the fact that he's a character and a person and not for his combat powers in the way that they've done a lot of things with like Doug Ramsey, for example, with Cypher uh, mm-hmm. over the years. Cause that was like the whole reason they killed off Doug Ramsey in the first place is his powers weren't combat useful. And they just had to, had to come up with more and more outrageous situations to fit him into plots. And they're just like, I can't bother with this anymore. Let's just kill him off. Anyway, end tangent. Warren, instead of being 
integral to the plot, spends almost the whole thing under mind control, thinking that the horticulture are the most beautiful women he's ever seen and being madly in love with them. And instead, it kind of turns into an Ilyana story, except not so much. And at the end of the day, it turns out it's an Explody Boy story. Explody Boy being a brand new character <laughs> who had never been introduced before this, who can blow himself up. Nitro like style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the emotional core to the whole thing ends up being his conversation with his zombie self. Because he's been resurrected on Krakoa as a yeah. live mutant. And so he takes a jetpack, flies out to Krakoa, and... Uh, gets his zombie self to accept death by telling him about family and, you know, the life that he's living and zombies exploding boy says, cool, let me have your jetpack. I'm going to go blow myself up on this, <laughs> on this mother brain plant. I love that. It's like, so we could just let these guys fight. So we yeah. Just chill. Yeah. No, awesome. we shouldn't <laughs> just like so philosophical and personal. Oh yeah. It was so good. Anyway, should we get to notes? Yeah. Do you have anything plot wise that I missed? It was mostly just a, a big fun romp of a fight scene. The main takeaways as far as story relevance seem to be one, the horticulture return. They're still at large, but Beast cracked their tech a little bit, found out how they're able to mess with Krakoan biology and Wanda, yeah. Wanda's guilt and remorse and being unsettled in trying to atone for it is still dangling. Yeah. Okay, so my first thing will be the one that is the most brush-offable, which is that these 16 million mutants, I guess we only saw one of them retain <laughs> their mutant abilities. It, it was implied that they did. Like, they said, like, oh, you screwed up because you landed on a bunch, on a on a right. uh, island full of zombies with powers. Yes. Yeah. One, we never see them use them, but, the, yeah. with, but at the same time, we saw Beast and Dark Beast go to Genosha right. and exhume some bodies to try to find an X gene. Right. Only to find in, in endangered species, only to find out that Wanda's hex hit the dead bodies also. That's a good point. But okay, you win your but, no prize here if you can explain why they got brought back with powers anyway. But it doesn't matter because we never saw them use powers. We only, oh, we only saw point. we only yeah, saw yeah, Exploding yeah. Boy use powers, and one in sixteen million is fine with me. Right. He <laughs> sorry, been. one in sixteen million five hundred twenty-one thousand and forty-six. I think said yeah. anyway. <laughs> and so it's again not a big deal. I didn't even write. He would have been that one number. No. He would have been number one ninety-nine if exactly. he hadn't been killed previously. Yeah. No prize um, attained. Thank you. I have one four-word note. Yeah. The first word is LOL. <laughs> yeah, this is very this is a very funny series. M and penance. Oh yeah. We they have addressed and answered our lingering question. Literally yeah. the last one of the last things we talked about last pod is yeah. because I saw penance on the back. We're like, yeah, I don't know if this is another sibling penance. Right. Because there's a time when M was penance, but then there's a time where the two sisters were penance. No. Nope. Now we know. <laughs> now we know. She can transform at will now. 
M transforms into penance. Silly, uh, I, I don't understand it, but okay. Like silly, don't understand. Unnecessary. Penance, unnecessary. I mean, M is super. She's got super strength. She can yeah. fly. She's got she's got psychic abilities. Like she's nearly invulnerable. No, like yeah, there's no reason for her to need to turn into a, a spiky haired mute red skinned yeah. girl. All you're adding <laughs> is being sharp. <laughs> Right? It's just, it's ah. <laughs> but hey, whatever. So I just thought that was hilarious because yeah, we that was like this prevailing mystery for both of us. Right. Yeah. Even though yeah, we've yeah. both read all these comics with M in them, right. <laughs> or Penance or the sisters. Anyway, something else is Science Beast is back, which yeah. I was excited about. I think until this might the be end. A, a, oh yeah. He finally does something morally dubious at the end there. Yeah, in the end, he's like, in the question of being like a slave in heaven or a ruler of of hell or whatever he says, he just goes, I guess I'm the devil. I'm like, excuse me. Right. (laughs) Like, there is three scenes before that where he is a science nerd and figuring out tech and doing all this stuff. And that was fun. And I was like, this is the beast that I miss and yeah. like doing quoting uh, unnecessarily explaining his quote and then just saying Eureka like that was just all just the most adorable stuff and yeah. then we have Kirko and Hank and him stealing tech cool I understand it. I get it but then referring yeah. to himself as the, like he has referred to himself as the maestro to the orchestra that is X-Force. He has uh-huh. <laughs> described himself as a devil. <laughs> like, he's yeah. just something else, man. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something else. But something that happened in Empire that wasn't really a plot point worth talking about is that the Kotadi had some warp gates, some plant-based warp gates, just like Krakoa. And it looked a lot like them. And there's one scene where Cyclops shows up and they're like, where are the rest of the X-Men? Are you going to like, isn't there a gate somewhere around here? Yeah. And he like specifically says like, the gates have been acting weird since they showed up. We think it's it's best not to use them right now. Okay. Interesting. Um, And I'll go in a little bit more into that at the end when I talk about what I thought it was going to (laughs) be. But yeah, before we get into the psychics, one of the things is Explody Boy explodes and takes out all of the invading Kotadi in where they were, where some of them were trapped, and also kills a bunch of Madrox dupes. Yeah, and they're eating the Madrox dupes to just like feed. <laughs> but like, yeah, that goes against the whole Madrox thing because I guess when a Madrox dupe dies, he has to touch it to reabsorb it before it actually yeah. reabsorbs. So yeah. maybe he never touched them. However, you never see him touching one of his dead dupes on on paper, but mm. you see him post throw <laughs> uh Madrox dupe head. He didn't physically touch it. So but you have to assume he's the one yeah. that threw it because he's in a post throwing ash catch him, gotta catch him all <laughs> pokeball position with a flying dupe head. But uh, but whatever yeah. again it yeah. just for the sake of moving the story it was not important. It just had right. to move things along. Fine. I'm not gonna dwell on it. <laughs> Other than um, talking about it for two minutes. <laughs> Quick note here. When X-Corp is hanging out, eating salads, they name drop. They have meetings coming up with Noblesse Pharmaceuticals and Serval Industries. 
Serval Industries was the company that was in charge of the all new X Factor. They're the, yeah, the, <laughs> the Google sort of knockoff. Um, yeah. I was thinking of the pros when I was reading uh, <laughs> yeah. X Factor. It feels like they stole that idea out of my brain or vice yeah. versa. <laughs> but I don't know what Noblesse Pharmaceuticals is. So maybe that's a throw forward, something that. Yeah, maybe. That we haven't seen yet, or maybe it's uh, just a very <clears throat> obscure reference. We have Let's, Black Tom making an avatar of himself. Yes, Little Tom. So very much, this reminds me of something in Nomon. But yeah, the smallest hint of like Kirkoan spore or fungus or seed pod, he can throw his consciousness into and turn into a little avatar for himself. that <laughs> He yeah. calls Little Tom. On the other side of the planet. Also, yeah. Kurt teleported there. Yeah. Which maybe, yeah, he can't do that. He's never been able to teleport that far. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, But again, just to move the plot along. Yeah. It's not something you question. Right. (laughs) Um, Okay. Psychics. Can we talk about the psychics? Let's talk about the psychics. Okay. So, 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 (laughs) so magic is like Krakoa needs your strength that feeds on psychics. All psychics on Krakoa, please join us on Genosha so we can deal with this menace. So you have, first of all, <laughs> so all the psychics go through the Krakoan gate with yeah. t- Black Tom's face on it. And in the middle, you have Quentin Choir, and he has a shirt that says, I'm with stupid and has six arrows pointing all around. And in my <laughs> head canon, I have established that he totally ran back home, got that shirt, threw it on, and then came to the gate. Because there's no, no way I, he was already wearing that. <laughs> no, I, I am certain that his shirt is a manifestation of his psychic powers, that he's using it on the reader. He's using his powers uh-huh. on the reader to project whatever image that he wants you to see onto his shirt that's amazing i like that explanation so much more (laughs) like i just got a giggle out of thinking that he ran home but like (laughs) this is my meta thought for you to see on my shirt is yeah great (laughs) well done i'll go with that okay so all these psychic show up so we have choir in the middle you've got lady mastermind who we saw join in dawn of giant 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 size nightcrawler giant size x-men uh nightcrawler you have mastermind you have exodus you have the cuckoos you have sinister i didn't know he was psychic yeah it's yeah yeah he's psychic and he just has every power and then i don't know which one's a bigger bomb so i was gonna say them both (laughs) yeah but you have selene I think you saved the best for last, but yes, Celine is. You a big have bomb. Celine, yeah. who is a psychic vampire, so I get it. But she's on Krakoa. Yeah, yeah, like, she sure is. She was name dropped in Dawn a bit ago. I want to say because I feel like we've talked about her once already. Yeah, I Celine's, feel like she was name dropped. Celine is the type who, like, there's no way that they didn't have her front and center for candidacy for the Hellions. There's just yeah. no way that she can play nice with anybody. She's just yeah. brutal. But I, she's like, in my head canon, too powerful to be she, yeah. controlled and put on a team like that. So especially under Sinister. But like yeah. she, yeah. she was. Oh uh, God. My yeah. so I know Celine because she was the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club, right? Yeah. And so she as a character and antagonist specifically has been more involved in stuff that you've read. Mm-hmm. Well, my she also only, did Necrotia. 
I was going to say, the only thing I've read of her is when she did Necrotia and she brought back all the dead mutants and was like, you guys are zombies under my rule and all this yeah. other ridiculousness. Um, but so uh, that was like scary because, oh my gosh, they got the greatest artist, one of the greatest yeah. artists on that. And just the art was just so dark and so intense. And Celine was so scary and she yeah. didn't die at the end. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And now we have her here just joining the fight on Krakoa, but whatever. And you have Amal Farouk, the shadow motherfucking king. Yeah. Chilling on Krakoa. Unreal. Being like, cool. I refuse. The last time we see Farouk is he had the psychic profile of Charles Xavier under lock and key on the shadow plane after the last time he died. And the entire story arc was him getting free from Farouk to take over Phantom X's body to revive himself and become X. And how is Shadow King allowed on Krakoa? I guess Just for all means, but like... <sighs> universal level psychic threat. Like, terrifying. It just makes so... There's, I, there's got to be something going on. Again furthering that hypothesis right and it's just like he like, has no interest in mutant prosperity he has no interest in playing nice he has no interest in anything other than literally controlling every single mind it's, it's so insane and it's funny because like with crossovers they do these splash pages yeah none of them had speaking rules it no just, no it was all it's just for page. Yeah. for a fandom just wiki to say yep. this person can be seen in the battle at this place and this storyline and, <laughs> and to blow the minds of people like us do care Bobby. way too much <laughs> right and because this issue and the first issue were written by hickman Yes. And so that was another note that i wanted to he get he specifically chose to have celine and farouk as mutants on Krakoa to join this fight. Oh, just my mind is blown. Yeah. And also the next page, they weren't in the initial splash, but Danny Moonstar and Karma also show up. Yeah. In the back. Yeah. 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 And Uh, another blonde girl that I didn't place immediately. Also in the course of it, Ilyana picks up the, the spell scepter and gets corrupted even further, controls the zombies and goes full out into dark child persona. So that was cool. Oh, this is the thing that I neglected in the plot recap is that Wanda and Dr. Strange go on a little jaunt together to make another scepter to undo the spell of the first one. They get another eye of Alakra, the void spider. Order Godhead and another world tree root, etc. And then... I thought that their conversation at the end was really good. This is simply our story over and over again. It ends how it ends. It's done. Then you get on with it and keep on living. Unless, of course, you can't live with it. Unless, of course, you won't. And Wanda is reading a book and crying. Yeah. Like, they never address Wanda's guilt. They only ever really do it in passing. Like, what she did to mutants when she still believed that she was a mutant. (laughs) I, yeah. I feel like they're going to retcon her and Quicksilver to be mutants again. Yeah, but this will be her second like self redemption tour that she's yeah. trying to do, and 
they don't show her like grieving over the situation. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the first time you've seen that. Yeah. But there's room for this because she disappeared for a long time after House of M. Nobody could find her. Jamal. <laughs> she was in that area. Yeah. Hanging out with Dr. Doom. But uh, she had some downtimes. And then when she reappeared in like Young Avengers, she was kind of like serene about the whole thing. And so in my head, this kind of fits in between there where she is going through some of that emotional turmoil. Yeah. Yeah. They gave us a lot to work with for going forward. Oh, this is the, the quote that I was looking for. She says, my research was rigorous. My spell was perfect. Strange says, clearly. She says, it should have worked. He says, you tried to undo death as if you or any of us has any power in that realm. You should have known better, but that's the thing with you, isn't it, Wanda? You still don't understand that you cannot erase bad deeds from existence. You cannot bury sin. You can only eclipse them with greater deeds. At some point, you're going to have to embrace that idea and act on it. Until then, you're just going to keep doing this, creating chaos and leaving others to clean up your mess. Mm. Just an awesome awesome conversation there yeah i really like when they use strange as like a chaos therapist yes yeah like just he's like the science he's a scientist he's the sorcerer supreme like he has an understanding of reality that yeah very few others do <laughs> just like the wolf from pulp fiction but for all of your like universe destroying magical bullshit <laughs> yeah Something that I really liked about Empire X-Men. And also the fact that these four issues are included in Dawn's 13 and 14. Yeah. Uh, further underline what I'm about to say, which is these four issues really felt like it was part of the X tale that they're trying to tell. Yeah. Like they're doing their thing with Dawn and then Empire happens and they're like, oh, we can use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's work it in. So that was a lot of fun. I had a good time. And the obvious like common interest dealing with plants. Right. Which is (laughs) 90% of what the X-Men are doing these days. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because you've got all the Terra Verde stuff and all of the Krakoa organic tech and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's two kind of plot points from Empire that I thought were going to get covered in Empire X-Men that they did not. One is the fact that the Kotati were using warp gates that looked exactly like Krakoa gates. And so I all of a sudden just tangented as I was reading, thinking that they're going to like somehow like maybe accidentally be on the same network. And like it was going to like doors were going to get mixed in teleportation and stuff, but they didn't. But so uh, the beacons just decided they're not going to use it for a little bit. And then the other thing is... At the end, when the Kotati had completely florally overrun the Cree <laughs> city and the blue area of the moon. Yeah. Just as an off thing, they're at the end after everything, they're like, oh gosh, we should probably deal with the plants, right? And I think Hulkling says, oh yeah, don't worry about it. the X-Men dealt with it. And I assume that's what we're going to see is right. like Scott or the Summers family from the Summers home going and clearing out the Kotati influence on the Kree city. Oh, but we didn't get that in Empire yeah. X-Men. And so knowing that you kind of poked at X-Men 10 to see if there's yeah. anything Empire related, he's saying there was, I assume because it's the X-Men title and not one of the other titles, it's probably going to be a Scott Summers thing. Yeah. So I only looked at the first like two pages or so, 
And it opens on a character with, I would say, rather obvious interest in some of these more cosmic events that Mm. you haven't touched on at all. Okay. So we'll see how it all comes together. But I think you're going to be stoked to read it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, I might start tonight. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Cool. Yeah. So again, the whole like Blue Area of the Moon thing, and now that Summer's House is there, I thought that's where we were going to do in yeah. part X-Men. And they told a very different story that uh-huh. also is arguably more impactful um, <laughs> <laughs> with res- like, dude, is Xavier going to be pissed or is the council going to be pissed that at Wanda's actions on Genosha? Like I that's we'll find out. Yeah. Also, two council members showed up to this war on Genosha. That's true. Exodus and Big Sinister. deal. That's some representation, man. <laughs> <sighs> My last note on Empire X-Men is that it was a full collaboration tag team. It seemed like every single writer who is working on any of the X-Books right now had a hand in this. And I think that's fun. It just yeah. it seems to me like it was probably just a lot of fun to write teaming up like that and, and just uh, handing it off. That's all. I agree. Uh, Nomon. Let's do Nomon. So Nomon. Yep. While you get ready for this, let no, me I, see I if I can actively recount what we did at the end of chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect. our main character is Neith. Yeah. And she is an investigator, a detective. Yeah. And uh, she gets brought in on this murder case and yep. the murdered being is someone Hunter. Diana um, Hunter, yeah. Diana Hunter. And Diana Hunter looks like a 30-year-older Neith. Similar, yeah. Similar to Neith, but 30 years older. So, yeah. ooh, maybe a mom figure, we don't know. And then, right. so, there's a bunch of questions about Hunter and how she died. And so, that's why she got, that's why Neith gets brought in. And she goes to Hunter's house. And Hunter's house is a Faraday cage. And so she goes inside and she gets completely disconnected from the witness. Yeah. What it's called. Yep. Which is the ambient surveillance network that is supposedly purely under democratic control. Uh Uh-huh. And we get inside this Faraday cage house and we get introduced to Regno. Yep. Regno Len. You you go out of your way to pronounce it like a Frenchman. It's German. There's an umlaut over the O. L oh, okay. O with an umlaut, N-N-R-O-T. Yeah, sorry. I, I should have been more clear. <laughs> no, you're good. So we get introduced to Regno Lenro, and it's torn no longer backwards. Um, yeah. But I know him as Regno, and he just shows up. Well, don't know where they he- always portrayed and spoken of as purely androgynous. No, oh, yes. okay. No, uh, um, no pronouns for, for they Lando. are out of nowhere. They look super creepy. Yeah. Like super pale, I think is what yeah. is, is part of it. And then they did like a shotgun blast of really creepy comparisons of what they look like. Yep. They seem to know more about Hunter and Hunter's history and why Neith would get involved. Yeah. And they're letting on. Yep. And kind of questioning Neith and being like, do you really want to know this? You sure you don't want to just chalk this up as a death? Yeah. You really, you really want to dive into this. And then after some conversations and some foreshadowing and uh, heavy dialogue, Neith leaves the house 
because Neith wants to connect to the witness to try to figure out who this Regno person is. And as soon as she comes out, there's a shark. Sort of, well, you missed the one part, which is that Neith goes to put Lernrot under arrest and Lernrot smacks her over the head, concusses her. And so she kind of has a little dream state. Right. Crawls out. But the way that this sort of psychic interrogation thing works is that she's downloaded the full psyche and memories of Diana Hunter into her head. So she can kind of like, as part of one of the tools of her investigation, she can figure out what's going on and and maybe get some clues, maybe get a fuller picture of what happened and why she died. And so at the end, she loses consciousness, implying that Diana Hunter's memories are going to return. And then, yeah, she sees a shark. So, And I don't understand why there's a shark all of a sudden. Yeah. So that was an incredible recap of the first chapter. Yeah. Having been concussed by Lernrout, she is fading into dreams, which will be replaying Diana's memories. So naturally, we turn the page to a chapter from the point of view of a rich, egotistical Greek guy who is being haunted by a mystical math shark. Math shark? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Guy's name is Constantine Kyriakos. Real quick note, this chapter seems to be roughly set in our present day. He talks about things like the Great Recession and the Greek debt crisis from 2008 to 2011. Makes reference to more or less present day tech and events. So we can roughly map it on to right now, despite the rest of the book taking place in some indistinct future. Just a real quick, because apparently I'm doing this for all the names, Constantine's name is most likely a reference to the Roman emperor, Constantine the Great, who reunited Rome under one rule from a previous power sharing arrangement between four rulers. Important here is the number four and Rome being torn no longer. He's most famous for converting it to Christianity and the transition from Rome worshiping their traditional pantheon to the Christian God. My note here, which uh, is really my own shit, but parallels between his shifting the empire to a single rule and conversion to a monotheistic religion make some scholars speculate this was probably more a political thing than spiritual. But anyway, uh, and to be relevant to Constantine the banker, he also stabilized the Roman currency by minting a gold coin. Oh, one last bit of trivia. Emperor Constantine was born in the city of Dacia, which is now known as Nice, Serbia, which is where the artist for my first graphic novel, The Prose, Yelena Georgievich, lives. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so Constantine Kyriakos is uh, a real, like a brilliant and oversexed banker, like investment banker with a secret heart of gold. If you want to map onto a Marvel character, he's kind of a Tony Stark type, but not an inventor, just pure math. Backstory, when he was a kid, he was nearly expelled for being disruptive during math class, doing you know all sorts of things, quote unquote, wrong when he had to show his work. And the principal called in a math professor from a local university, Dr. Cosma too, who he, uh, Constantine calls him the old girl <laughs> all the time. She recognized him as a prodigy and let him leave basically elementary school to go study with her. There he fell in love with I believe her niece, a girl named Stella, who is a fellow math prodigy around his same age. They spent years together before Stella suddenly died of cancer. Not too long after that, the old girl died too. 
rather than stay and continue his theoretical work, he went off to be an investment banker and cash out. Conversation here is they say, you should stay here with us and do this. It will not make you rich, but it is best. Uh, the old girl saying that. He says, will it make me happy? I wasn't thinking. So much had happened and I really wanted to know. Maybe not, she said, but sure as shit, nothing else will. Well, if I was going to be unhappy or at least not happy, because a mathematician knows the difference between the absence of X and its negation, then I chose to be unhappy like this. I chose to be unhappy and rich rather than unhappy and poor. I was reasonably sure at the time that unhappy and poor was a lot unhappier. Though since then, I've seen the very rich get themselves into states of sorrow and horror, which are inaccessible without vast fortunes. With insane money comes insanity. This business of billions, what the fuck can you buy with a billion that will fill the hole? Nothing. I know. I've seen it. So he's got a good head on his shoulders, despite being like completely phallocentric and crazy egotistical. So the chapter starts out with Constantine swimming in the Mediterranean, where he has a close encounter with a great white shark, which there ought to be no great white sharks in the Mediterranean. Officially, there are. But it was kind of a similar situation to you with the whale shark. (laughs) No, okay. He says, I'm sufficiently insane that I think if I take a photograph, it will make for some serious bragging rights. Oh, yeah. You know what I saw on a dive near Athos, like close enough to touch? Great white. No, I'm serious. Swam with it for a while. Then it left. Well, I thought you might say that. So suck on this unphotoshopped image of me petting the seven meter torpedo of bikini chomping death like my grandmother's puppy. Balls of steel? Steel is for shit. You know what Zeus has, my friend? You know what he tells girls when he comes to them in the shape of a swan? He doesn't say he's got balls of steel. He throws back his head, spreads his arms and says, I am the king of the gods, the son of Kronos and Rhea and the master of lightning. I am palaces and power and pleasure and treasure and appetite working around in tight pants and better than any of that crap. You know what I've got? I've got balls like Constantine Kyriakos. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So I imagine that was your rationale for nearly getting eaten by a whale shark. That is exactly what went through my head as as a 13-year-old <laughs> swimming <laughs> in front of a whale shark so I could take a picture. It's exactly what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes in to take a picture and he realizes he's being an idiot. And he takes off his expensive watch and drops it. And the shiny object grabs the shark's attention and he manages to escape, but it shakes him. He tries to recover with booze and partying. says, I'm reconsidering everything in life. I have been changed, annealed. I need time to reflect, to go mad, to get sane, to drink, to be sober. I am a new person. In a private villa at Alunda, as part of this healing process, I commission a foam party. My shark picture is projected onto the walls, and I arrange for a special Kyriakos cocktail with blue curacao and fine shark fin ice cubes. There is a six-foot ice luge in the shape of a nude male diver, suitably heroic but still recognizably me, reaching down like God in the Michelangelo's painting to bless the shark. Branded vodka is poured into the back of the statue's scuba tank and flows freely from his partly engorged penis. Wow. And there's another line here. It just, it's not always easy being Greek. Even the mud has gods in it. Uh, So after partying, he uh, returns to work and he meets with the big prospective client, a man named uh, Patriarch Nikolaos Megalos. Name there, uh, similarity in Megalos to Megalodon, a prehistoric ancestor to the great white shark. Megalos is the head of a large Eastern Orthodox religious order, the order of St. Augustine and St. Spiridon. 
I'll talk about St. Augustine in a later chapter because he comes up again, of course. St. Spiridon, Constantine says, is uh, mostly famous for setting his beard on fire. So we've got another parallel with you. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Cool. He's also the patron saint of potters. There's a character later with an interest in pottery, which uh, might be relevant. And this last part seems like mostly trivia, but he's the patron saint of the Tolstoy family, most famous for the novelist Leo Tolstoy, author of War and Peace, Anna Karenina, etc. A quote about Nicolaus's uh, religious order says the order would be a major client if I can reel them in churches always are if they bank at all but the order at some point must have been given one of those gifts that the old emperors like to bestow on the favored a string of diamond mines or mineral rights for the whole of Morocco when they cashed out I have no idea but they are now a smallish subset of the orthodox religion with the kind of money more usually held by the people who create search engines or new ways to smuggle heroin and as for Megalos himself It says, picture a science fiction looking hat, all black and shaped almost like a fan. Then put a man under it with the face of a Persian warrior king and a square black beard. Give him a black robe trimmed with very pale blue and eyes set in the same tint. Put on his finger a fat Burmese ruby set in a ring dating from before the Council of Trent and a rope belt with knots at prayerful intervals all the way down to the floor. There are old scars on his fingers and his nails are chipped as if he builds boats for a living. Perhaps the Order of St. Augustine and St. Spiridon has a secret fight club the way banks do these days. I picture Megalos roaring like a bull moose and breaking the Bishop of Rome across his knee. He's a huge bastard. I'm not a thin man, but inside his gaiters, this guy must have legs like the pillars of Heracles. He's big like strong men are, huge belly and fat on his limbs, muscle underneath as thick as a pork roast. Carpentry, I realize, remembering the briefing. He's a carpenter, an ambulation of you-know-who. So they talk shop. Constantine talks about the causes of the Great Recession and food bonds in a passage that I found very interesting, but I'm probably the only one. He has a brief post-traumatic shark episode. Just in that explanation, so I noticed that you said Heracles. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because he refers to Zeus, who is a Greek god. Yeah. But Heracles was the Roman name of Hercules, I believe. Uh, no, no, no. Hercules is Roman. Heracles really? is Greece. Yeah, Greek. Yeah. Okay. Well, then it's on point. Because <laughs> then, then with the whole like Carpenter thing and saying, you know who, I thought right. he was just pulling from every single mythology oh. and, and just like one, it like shows like your worldly knowledge, but then shows yeah. that he's like picking and choosing like, sure. what pieces well, I mean, he likes. For me this is and, part of the Constantine parallel, right? Is the sort of melding or uh, the linkage point between classical Greek myth, which is referenced a lot in this chapter, and Christianity, which is, you know, a big part through the order here. So Megalos, in the course of their conversation, reveals himself as a sort of nationalist or a fascist. He says, I'm a believer of God, of course, but also in something else. I'm a believer in Greece. And he says, uh, Plato believed in a circular cosmos. He taught that the universe repeats upon itself and that one day he would again be teaching in Athens, just as he was then, it is the doctrine of apocatastasis, a return to the beginning. He carries on, I do not believe in a perfect return. I do not believe it is inevitable. The world is not so kind, but I do believe that it may come if we seize it. And when it does, our country shall rise to greatness once again. We shall once more have fire in our spines and Greece shall be torn no longer. 
Hey. Hey. Now that was quick. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) He reveals a little bit more about this perfect Greece he's trying to build. And he uses the Persian immortals as a reference. Constantine says, sure, like that terrible American film. Uh, He means 300. And Megalos corrects him. And he says, your teachers miss the point because they are circumscribed by their own immersion in a culture of written words. It is not that a man died and another was called to be an immortal, to fill a role. Rather, immortals cannot die because the role supersedes the man. When a body falls, another steps into its place. So the immortal goes on. When a person living this way is not the sum of their experience of fallible human memory, but the expression of a permanent identity. It is not convention or even a magic. It is a truth as simple as the sunrise. But the true Greece exists only in that other world. The Greece we inhabit now is a shadow. We have to discover, you know, make Greece great again, yada, yada, yada. And so finally, Megalos asks about the shark, which he refers to as a catabasis, the journey of Orpheus into the underworld to recover his love. And this whole time, Constantine is very self-consciously playing a part, trying to work angles, work emotions, portray himself as this you know, sinner who might see the light and all this stuff. But he allows himself a rare moment of full honesty. And he says... Um, The truth slips out. The shark was very big eminence, and I was very little, a beat. I suppose it was the most spiritual experience of my adult life. He grabs his hand, and after a long moment, he exhales and releases me. We shall do business, the patriarch says. And so Constantine returns to the office, and his boss has this old school stock ticker that Constantine hates. It like, you know, runs like numbers on a CRT screen, but he starts seeing a digit four drifting around just in the noise and he kind of ascribes it to coincidence at first you know like a markov chain an apparently meaningful sequence in a flow of random numbers this is a particularly pretty one a wonder of nature requiring a staggering string of coincidences it looks almost like animation conveys a sense of movement and deliberation the four moves back up the line then hovers around the middle of the list and then it finds one stock that's priced at 91750 and then it's 91754 and then it's 91740 and then it's 91450 and then it's 94750 and then it's 41750 and then it's back to its normal price hmm. and then he makes a connection a four like the fin of a shark of course that's what i would see it was inevitable that the comparison would occur to me i'm getting used to my obsession even getting rather fond of it 10 seconds later, that apparently stable company that the fours were drifting through goes out of commission, completely bankrupt, goes down to 44444 and then 4.444. And then it's just a row of dashes and the screen that he's watching explodes, basically. Oh, so he attributes four to the shark? Like the fin of a shark. Yeah, because it looks like it. Uh... It, in, in In the pointed top four. In yeah. that sort of typographic. Interesting. And yeah, yeah. depending on your font. <laughs> so yeah. I was yeah, okay. Cause I was thinking I was like, okay, tail fin, dorsal fin. Yeah. I guess the two side fins makes four <laughs> fins of the shark. No, All just right. the dorsal fin sticking That's... up out of the water. That makes way more visual sense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. And this is too weird. So he goes to Stella's house, except Stella's dead. So he has an argument with the old girl's widower. His name is Cosmatos. He's a classics professor. They cry and argue and talk about the shark incident, which Cosmatos frames as a sacrifice. There's a quote here. You gave time and fortune in exchange for your life. 
into the mouth of the God you offered those things. Now time and fortune are returned to you in a new form, but in the next instant, there will be a price and beyond that price, another payment. What is devoured is birthed. You will grow wealthy and you will fall and rise and fall as many times as the story requires. You will be ripped into pieces and reborn torn. That's my side note, but congratulations. You have become the mirror of the world. It is the face of Greece itself in these coming days. So turns out he's kind of along the lines of Megalos's similar fascism. And this is a particularly European kind of racism. And this seems to be a race and fascism and intolerance seems to be kind of a theme in the book. So I'm going to talk about European racism and how it's different than American racism (laughs) briefly. So American racism, you know, a lot of it stems from the fact that we literally use just the color of skin to determine which people had rights and which people were property. And it was largely based off of building sort of a caste system in America. European racism is more built from a sense of ethnic identity you know, all this talk of like what it is to be Greece and we are Greece and we have this destiny and we have this heritage. It's ascribing something fundamental to the character of a national identity. And in doing that, saying like, you know, these these foreigners, these refugees, they just don't get it. Like in France or the Netherlands or places like this, like they will open up their doors to immigrants, but they'll say like, you have to fully assimilate. We think that being French is the best thing there is. And we're happy to invite you to come be French with us, but you have to be completely French. You have to eat like us. You have to, you know, speak like us. You have to, all of these things basically leave behind any cultural practice. And it also becomes a a scapegoat of anything that this part is similar to American fascism and American racism, but anything that's going wrong It's the fault of those others, those people coming from the outside, those people who are perverting our way of life and so on. Uh, And Cosmatos even repeats the phrase torn no longer in their conversation. And then he offers to take Constantine somewhere to meet some people and Constantine refuses. Anyway, a few days later, the four thing happens again and he acts on it this time. He sees the shark circling another company. Mm-hmm. And he sells off all the stock, buys a bunch of stock in their competitors and shorts anybody who holds the company that's about to go under, uh, shorts anyone who holds their debt. He makes about $100 million on this, <laughs> or, or sorry, 100 million euro. He feels like he's on his way to becoming a billionaire, which he calls the 1500 or being one of the 1500. He says, it's not a conspiracy. It's simply a concentration of access and resource that it cannot help but carry weight. It requires no oaths of allegiance because all that is already implied. It's just wealth, but on a level that is to all intents and purposes an evolutionary change. I can feel it waiting for me. The new nationality that takes you when you have become pure money. (laughs) Oh, man. And then it happens three more times for a total of five. And he acts on, you know, seeing all of these. on four of them. Yeah. So 
he starts buying art. And I have a quote here. This includes a great quantity of South American folk art, which she tells me are some extremely rare and undervalued duodecimal quipus, which I might actually find interesting, along with the best of some new work by a man called Barry Hoon Bekele, who painted flying saucer pop art in the 1970s. He evidently got his mojo back working on a new computer game that everyone is supremely excited about. Note to self, get it. A quick note on the quipus. He says, it's what some people call a talking knot. This is evidently a sort of Inca necklace cum tax return. And presumably on the basis that I am a mathematician by training, she includes a sheaf of paperwork. I do not read about how remarkable that it is that it's patterned on in base 12 rather than base 10. The quipu itself for all that someone has spread it out to look like a condor's wing looks like a Neolithic two-way. So next he unwraps the Bekele painting, which is actually titled Nomon. Says, hey. Hey. says the joke works on a lot of levels. Nomon means one in the know, which is clever about in my financial mojo, but it also means something perpendicular, something that sticks out. Everything in the world you will observe ultimately pays homage to my erection. All right. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) It just goes on and on, man. (laughs) And he says, I glance at the printed description, mixed media. Apparently, there's an actual metal gnomon, an architect's tool, glued to the wooden board on which the whole thing is painted. So it's like a physical metal thing sticking out of the painting. I undress my picture and step back. Oh, yes. He sees clearly this forgotten bad boy from Addis Ababa. He sees through time. The gnomon is the fin, of course, and Bekele dreamed it very accurately, shaped the hollow arc of the head and the body, the bulbous bullet shape. It is swimming through inky electronic space, the sky above full of numbers in cathode ray green. Gnomon is a picture of my shark. And then he hosts a, a launch party for the video game that that artist worked on says it's called witness a sort of orwellian laura croft tunnel trawler with bleak hypnotic landscapes that seem to watch you right back he hosts the all grease party we play a marathon the idea is to reach the level cap be the first in the world i have no idea if we actually achieve this in the end but it's a huge deal with press because this kind of thing makes money like cows make shit Drunken button mashing as if this work of lucidic art was a missile command coin-op from the 80s. I accidentally unlock an Easter egg in the game. The figure representing me slips through a hidden door into a kind of insane control center, a room full of secrets. Apparently, this demonstrates that I have mad skills with a Z because somebody writes the words on my stomach in a purple lipstick in Sambuca just because it's this debaucherous party. The Mm -hmm. launch party. Meanwhile, Megalos is in the news saying racist things and coded in dog whistles. And he's thriving with all of this money that Constantine is making him, but not as much as some of the other clients because church laws or something dictate that the order be stuck on a more conservative fund. Constantine runs five funds now, including some real, real hoity-toity bigwig clients. He starts getting cold calls from billionaires just to hang out. Says, uh, my phone rings and it's Ben Teasdale, the Arizona technologist who owns half the fiber optic cable in the US and supplies connectivity to the whole of Asia. He's a transhumanist. Famously, when he dies, he will try to squirt his consciousness into a computer, then freeze his brain in case there's any of himself left inside. He funds research into weird technologies, man-machine interfaces, and artificial telepathy. He holds patents and things which will probably drive the next hundred years of economic growth. I try and figure out what he wants. I realize he wants nothing. He's curious. He thinks we'll meet again. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Teasdale introduces him to an unnamed Chinese billionaire. They share a plane ride together and they play the game Go. Cool. Yeah. It says, in the fourth game, I box him for a moment and the hole in the board makes the shape of a shark. The billionaire tuts. The Chinese don't like the number four, he says. It whispers the trap of birth that is accompanied by the inexorability of death. But that is a homophony, not an identity. It is the shadow in the coat. Do I see a four? I tell him that the number four has a different significance to me. And, and he grins. Oh, yes, he says, Megalodon. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So he eventually wins a game and earns the Chinese billionaire's respect. He studies me for a moment, then opens his wallet and removes a card. A long number is printed in red. If you have trouble, he says, these are my guides for security. You may travel to the ends of the earth, but I shall hold you always in my palm. Say it back to me. So Constantine goes back to work and finds every single digit on his screen is now a four. Oh, he intuits that this is that the market is about to crash and crash hard, like Hindenburg hard. He thinks of warning nations that there's terrible things afoot, but he realizes no one's going to listen to him. That's not how this works. He doesn't have time to save all his clients. And so he lets the fund with Megalos's account just die and saves the rest. Um, <laughs> doesn't have time to save all of his clients. And so he lets one die and he's able to get everyone else. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's, you know, five funds with different instructions and goals, taking different approaches, each profiting from my barmy intuitions, each rising in strength, but each somewhat opposed to the others. I can save three, maybe four, but one of them can't go on. Yeah. So yeah, he chooses the one with Magalos in part because he doesn't like Magalos and in yeah. part because uh, it's the, the conservative fund. Yep. So water privatization is sort of at the middle of this and it's going to be rationed here in the middle of the summer heat, which is terrible for a lot of reasons, but also for inflaming racism. He goes out for a run and on his way, he stops by a rationing site. He says, I realize I'm here by force of habit. There's no reason for me to do any of this. I should be sorting out my new world, moving house for a while, but I'm so, oh yeah. So he makes just a shit ton of money. Like he is clearly a billionaire from the movement that he's able to do, uh, seeing the, the crash happen. He's now Uh, a member of the money race. Of the 1500, exactly. He says, I should be sorting out my new world, moving house for a while, but I'm trapped, just watching myself, my country. I'm too fascinated to take up my empty throne just yet. And I don't think I'll ever come here again or understand it if I do. These are my last few hours of ordinary humanity. They're precious. And while he's out, because he's in his running clothes, he just looks like everybody else. And he is swept up in a riot. He's afraid at first, but he realizes they don't know or recognize him. He's in disguise as a regular person, essentially. There's a long and beautiful scene in the riot, and eventually he finds his way home. But there's somebody there, a woman who he first mistakes for Stella, but he notices is definitely not. And it says here, the woman is like her, but she is a decade older than Stella was when she died the right age for Stella now. She is leaner, more muscular. She is Stella evolved, Stella grown and changed and yet the same. They could be sisters or cousins. They could be strangers with that uncanny sameness, meeting in the street and staring, laughing, becoming friends. My Stella. Hi, I say. You have to say something when your dead ex-girlfriend appears in your flat just after you wreck the economy. And then somebody behind him ambushes him and puts a sack over his head. And then 
Final quote here at the end of the chapter. Hierophant, the girl who looks like Stella, says through the sack, you will bring us the god and Greece shall be torn no longer. Oh, shit. I go down into black water. It is dark and silent, but not, never anymore, deserted. Hmm. And that's the end of the chapter. Couple okay. notes. I have a couple notes, but if you have any questions. So this is kind of like a prequel chapter as far as like in the timeline where we have the release of a video game called The Witness. Or witnessed past tense, but yes. Ah, what I don't have yet is the connection between chapter one and chapter two, as far as timeline is concerned. Yeah. So, so this I'm- is so I, I should have explained this from the very beginning. This whole chapter is in the sans serif font of Diana Hunter's interrogations and memories. This is Diana Hunter's memory. Yeah. Oh shit. (laughs) Okay. So this is Diana Hunter's memory. And so she knows Constantine's story and we are finding out what that story is. Not only does she know Constantine's story, she's telling it from his first it's, person. It's narration. a first person. Yeah, okay. So remember, right. she's a novelist. Right. Right. <laughs> so he gets home from this launch party and he sees his stock ticker and it's all fours. Yeah. And because of his experience with the with watching this swimming for which also as a number guy i would yeah. lose my mind um, <laughs> yeah i thought you like, would enjoy this chapter watching a four like i mean at, working at a bank yeah <laughs> a four moving around a stock ticker just seeing it and then yeah. watching it go through a stock like that and then the yeah. stock just going down to zero i i, I mean assuming no assuming describe I'm, it it's the shark god well, assuming that I am me and yeah. not an investment baker, I wouldn't know who to talk to about this <laughs> or like what action I can take when I see yeah. a second four show up. Right. Oh my God, dude. So, okay. <laughs> I'm going back and forth between making a significance of the number four or making a significance to the symbol four. Mm. And it sounds like it's the symbol for that is the big deal and not, and it just so happens yeah. to also be a numerical value. It's not yeah. like keep an eye out for four is going down the line. No, like, keep an eye out for fives though. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, cause, uh, cause I was going to say like to that point, he, he saw this four hit five different companies. Yeah. Before it hit everything. He yeah. was able to, act on four of them yeah but five happened yeah all right um (laughs) so anyway he gets home from the launch party sees the entire screen full of fours has enough time to save all except for megalodon's profile yeah and then that's when he gets kidnapped with a sack over his head and there's two people here one of which seems like the still alive math genius girl that he fell in love with who is the niece of the math professor that That discovered him yeah and that past happened 10 years ago and this person looks like it'd be a 10 year older version of that girl yeah 
who would be the niece of the guy that he went and talked to before the party. Right. The, the fascist classics professor. Yeah. And we have someone else who knocked him upside his head. Yep. And while he's passing out, she says that Rome will be torn no longer. Yeah. That Greece will be torn no longer. Greece will be torn no longer. Yeah. Rome is the next chapter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. That's what we got. Yep. What are your notes? <laughs> uh just a couple minor things that didn't really fit into the plot recounting. Constantine tries to buy a new watch at one point, but the band burns his skin and leaves a triangle mark on the underside of his wrist. Triangle like a four, like a fin. And so he decides not to go with it. A quipu, I didn't get deep into research here, but it's like a string computer. It has like a central hoop with a bunch of strings with knots tied into it that you can use to make mathematical calculations really quickly. And specifically the way that they're describing it here reminds me a lot of one of the covers of one of Diana Hunter's novels, which we found in her house. Okay. Also base 12, I'm thinking might be a clue to the puzzle at the very beginning of the book. Also for a symbolic importance, uh, he first mistakes the riot the sound of the riot for the sound of bees and this one is just an easter egg for my friend Edidia, who wrote a paper on the subject once upon a time his his master's thesis but he says it had never occurred to me that a riot is a community but it is that is interesting there was that imagery and there's there's like one or two other interesting takeaway images oh the constantine talking about money and happiness yeah. Where he's like, as a numbers guy, I know that the subtraction is not the same as the negation. Yeah. And not like, X doesn't equal the negation or, yeah. of X or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, yes, that's amazing. And like, yeah. it just, I love that. I, I love that, <laughs> that kind of just perspective on things because it's true. Yeah. Um, it, it's so annoying. Super random tangent, but like in banking, <laughs> you can have. Please, please, um, please. I want, I want banking context on this. Well, so you can have fees waived, or okay. you can have fees canceled. Hmm. And the difference being, if your fee is waived, it's two separate transactions on the account. You oh, get charged sure. five dollars, and then we give you five dollars back. Right. Whereas a cancel of the fee is it just mm. never hit your account. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so then when you report back later, it's just not there. I have no record of you actually getting a fee yeah. unless you had your fees waived. And so to Constantine's point, the having a negative versus a negation are two very different things. Either you're removing the sadness or you're spray painting the sadness. Yeah in like glitter and, and glitz yeah totally. like that and, that and was he does a lot so of cool. he does a lot of the trying to blast over his sadness oh god there's a great quote in here i was meaning to read right after he opens the painting which is his shark the mm-hmm. painting by Berhun Bekele. he says that night i buy drinks for an entire strip club an israeli dancer the only one i've ever met and a former tank commander sit na- sits naked on my lap and whispers in my ear She's rather charming. I've never been so lonely in my life. Man. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying that he he buys art. He says, 
Art right now is a better bet in many ways than a bank, so long as you buy the right art. It's also a bullshit-based economy, so the terms of engagement are very familiar. I thought about wine, but you know what? I care about wine. Wine should not get shoehorned and abused by the market. Wine is old and respectable and erotic and human. I know Goldman once thought about buying Bordeaux, not the wine, the region, so they'd control the supply, but they didn't, and that is a good thing. Wine should not be a value counter in this game. No more than food. No more than healthcare or clean water. There are things that should be immune. And the people who don't understand that distinction, the distinction between what is fair game and what is not, those are the people who should go to jail. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. That's a good one. Right? Yeah. Like, it's funny because, I mean, this is the type of literature that I just don't get exposed to. Uh-huh. Um, and so my frame of reference for quality of author is <laughs> limited compared to the number of authors out there. Sure. <laughs> but like just that kind of stuff shows an understanding of like how a character can look at the world and b- to be able to portray that, especially if that is not how you personally view the world. Yeah, um, totally. Is just, it's so impressive. And and you can get such a, a full soundbite of, of somebody's like, exactly worldview and and voice and sense of self and who they are and how they talk. Another quote here on banking, just because now I'm on a roll and I've got (laughs) you as captive audience. Uh, Use your head. No idea that proposes free money is ever a good idea because money is mathematics and mathematics does not allow you to add something to one side of the equation without balancing it on the other. Finance by itself is ruthless and that ruthlessness is its salvation. The real disasters are only possible when you bring politics into it because politics is about pretending to care. (laughs) Yeah, that... (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Oh, man. You can't add money to an account without removing money from another account. Uh Whether it's it's at your bank or at someone else's bank, that money's coming from somewhere. Like in order for a person or an account to come up, something else has to go down. It is the universal like fact and you know they talk about a lot about you know transformation and and balance and things like that in this chapter and tying that through money and over the course of it constantine becomes a billionaire so where and who is that money coming from yeah and uh the idea that money is a race is very, <laughs> like that alone yeah is explorable to an nth degree absolutely i really yeah. that 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 one stood out for sure wild yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought you'd be into this chapter. Gosh, this was all just a memory. Uh, I thought we were, uh, whatever. I'm sorry. I really should have said that at the start. It, no, it's fine. pretty crucial. It, it is was... in the, it is in, it, it's such a narrative shift, but it is in the sans serif font. Yeah. There's a lot to this book that is visual, I think. Yeah, for um, sure. Sorry. Uh, no, it's not, it's not your fault. It's just the, uh, the limitations of us being on the other side of the country from each other. <laughs> right. Uh, so the next chapter in Nomon is very short, like just a handful of pages. So I might oh, wow. try and do that next week alongside all of our house of X, or we might just do Dawn of X and I will skip week for Nomon and then a <laughs> short week for Nomon after that. We'll see. All right, man. Yeah, because I have a sneaking suspicion that you're right. You're right. We're gonna go crazy with this shit. It's Dawn it's Dawn of 13, X. Dawn of X 13, 14, 15, 16. This is the 
ramp up to the end of the dawn series and the start of the rain start of rain it's gonna be x of yeah. swords it's yeah. like well, so, so X of Swords, Hellfire Gala, Trial of Magneto, these are events. Rain is the status quo. It's the, change, it's the right? next it's, like title. It's like, like saying the Dark way we Rain have, or, yeah, or yeah. Heroic Age. It's, we it's, have Dawn and after Dawn is Rain. Yes. But X of Swords, the book, is the last issues of all of the titles from right. Dawn. Yeah. So like 13 through 16 Dawn is going to be all ramp up and yeah. just intensity. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to cover anything not done is going to be rough. Yep. Oh, all right. I'm well, so amped. I am so excited. Anything else you want to say before we uh, take the good people on home? Big picture Marvel. I'm just excited that... Well, one that we're doing this pod, so I can so I, like, keep on reading comics. But like, yeah, I'm excited that I'm kind of catching up in the rest of Six on Six. To Dawn. you really are. Like Dawn itself is a little bit older anyway, but I was yeah. way behind on the other Six on <laughs> Six stuff. So I'm so stoked. Sick. Yeah, I'm just I'm, getting current, and I'm just finding the good titles and the bad titles, reading them at all. I do not miss 1998 X Men at all. <laughs> I'll be back someday, I promise, I swear. But oh god, it's nice to not be there right now. Well, then I think that covers it. Yeah, yeah. Come back next week for Giant Size Dawn of X podcast number whatever. What are we yeah. on five now? Four or five. five. Anyway, we're doing Dawn. It's going to be amazing. Anyway, yeah. uh, we're going to put the outro music here. Boom. Including the drums in the outro music. There are drums in the outro music. It just doesn't sound like your drums. Because I'm going boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And there's, and there's more stuff. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the guitar is going boom, 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 boom. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Moving on with life. I will see you next week. Take care. All right. Take care, man. Good to talk to you. <laughs>